Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. We are in Second Kings today. And I even got this day in history trivia, and I got the dad jokes. I got everything trying to work it out for this morning. So let's look at what's going on here today. And July 11th, 1955, Congress required the in law for the Treasury the mint, to mint um, in God we trust on currency. It had first appeared on coins in 1864. And in 1955, many years later, it was finally printed on the dollar bill. Pretty cool. 1956, it became the official motto of the U.S. 2023, I would say it's probably the official, <laughs> um, I don't know what, of the American government, the rejection, I guess. I don't know. Well, the U.S. Marine Corps reformed on this day. It's interesting because my son lives in Virginia and in the, where it was all, where it all, began, but the Marine Corps first started as the Continental Marine Corps in the American Revolution. That was in 1775. Then after the um, war was over, it was disbanded, and then it was reformed in 1798 on this day. So happy birthday to all our Marine friends and a good group. Now, this is really sad. This one just... Ah, kills me. First Quakers in uh, July 11th, 1656, the first Quakers arrive in America. And the reason is because the Puritans left England to get away from all the religious persecution. And of course, the, the Catholics and everything going on over there. They come over here to try and worship God purely, right? The Puritans, they were trying to purify the Church of England of Roman Catholic practices. They took it too far. The Quakers come over and they start brutalizing them. The Quakers called the Religious Society of Friends. We would not call them a Christian group. This little article says they were a Protestant religious, uh, I mean, a Protestant Christian uh, group. But they believed that each person had the ability to experience God, to access God on their own, that everyone has a, a God in them. It's really new agey. They, they were the originators of New Age, I think. And so they had all these weird practices and they did all kinds of stuff. But for that, one of the things that happened was that they used to tie them up and bore hot irons through their tongue. Nice. And, uh, you know, leave them out on their, on their racks and put them and do all kinds of stuff and eventually kill them. It was not a good thing. The Protestants got, uh, the, the Puritans anyway, had, may have desired to be pure in their worship of God. They took way, 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 way too far. All right. That's about, that's about it for that. Let's look over here to the dad jokes for today and see what we have. Hmm. What state is known for small drinks? Minnesota. No <laughs> world. They really like that one. They're kind of loud. All right, let's try another one. 
Mm, I've been prescribed anti-gloating cream. I can't wait to rub it in. Think about that one for a second. All right, now we're ready, and we will get into the reading for today. So, Father God, thank you for our time together. We do ask that you guide us and show us the truths that you want us to see here in these chapters. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Kings 13, in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king over Israel at Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, with which he made Israel sin. He did not turn from them. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Haziel, king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Adad, the son of Haziel. And Jehoahaz entreated the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him, and he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Aram oppressed them. And the Lord gave Israel a deliverer so that they escaped from under the hand of the Arameans, and the sons of Israel lived in their tents as formerly. Nevertheless, they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, with which he made Israel sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah also remained standing in Samaria. For they left to Jehoaz of the army not more than fifty horsemen and ten chariots and ten thousand footmen. And the king of Aram had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Joash, his son, became king in his place. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, king of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 16 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, with which he made Israel sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did in his might with which he fought against the Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Verse 13. So Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Verse 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness with which he was to die, Joash the king of Israel came to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha said, laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window towards the east, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrows of victory, and even the arrow of victory over Aram, or you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground, and he struck it three times and stopped. So the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike Aram only three times. Elisha died, and they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year, 
And as they were burying a man, behold, they saw the marauding band, and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now, Hazael, king of Aram, had oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now. When Hazael, king of Aram, died, Benadad, his son, became king in his place. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again from the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken in war from the hand of Jehoahaz, his father. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. Chapter 14. Amaziah reigns over Judah. Verse 1. In the second year of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoadin of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He did yet not like his father David. He did according to all that Joash, his father, had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now it came about as soon as the kingdom was firmly in his hand that he killed his servants who had slain the king, his father. But the sons of the slayers he did not put to death according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, as the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for the sons, or the sons to be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. He killed of Edom in the valley of Salt 10,000 and took Selah by war and named it Jokdel to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come. Let us face each other. Jehoash, king of Israel, said to Amaziah, the king of Judah, saying, The thorn bush which was in Lebanon sent to the cedar which was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son in marriage. But there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trampled the thorn bush. You have indeed defeated Edom, and your heart has become proud. Enjoy your glory and stay at home. For why should you provoke trouble so that you, even you, would fall in Judah with you. But Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash king of Israel went up, and he and Amaziah king of Judah faced each other at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. Judah was defeated by Israel, and they fled to his, each fled to his tent. Jehoash king of Israel captured Amaziah king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and tore down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and the silver and all the utensils which were found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and hostages also and returned to Samaria. Jeroboam the second. now verse 15. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash, with which he did and his might and how he fought with Amaziah king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam, his son, became king in his place. Verse 17, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of Chronicles in the, king, uh, in the kings of Judah? They conspired against him in Jerusalem 
and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. And he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king of Samaria and reigned 41 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper in Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Verse 28, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he had recovered for Israel, Damascus and Hamath, which he belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, even with the kings of Israel. And Zechariah's son became king in his place. So I just taught on this on Wednesday night. We do have it on Facebook. We do have it on uh, YouTube and uh, I believe on the archives on our webpage. So anybody confused? Yeah, try studying it and figuring out how you're gonna explain it. There's two Joashes, one in the north, one in the south. That's confusing. There's even a Jeroboam in there that's not the Jeroboam son of Nabat. He's a different Jeroboam. So you have guys with the same names, kings of the north and south fighting. What you really find out is that God still wanted to maintain a remnant. He was still compassionate, even when they were going completely off the rails and apostate. God would always do something where, like when Elisha dies, this is an interesting one. He dies, and of course, he's the prophet trying to lead people back in the north to come back to Jehovah God and worship him. And in a sense, what you would think when he's dead, that's, you know, they lost their, their last great prophet, although there was other prophets around, but he was the great prophet, more miracles than anybody. So when everything's going wrong and, and, and God is so far away and they're so, so far in sin and rebellion, What's fascinating is they, this one guy, as this battle is going to ensue and things are, are heating up, they throw a dead guy in the grave of Elisha. Now, we think the grave was like a tomb, not really dirt, because he, he wouldn't be laying in there with no, he wouldn't be covered. You know what I'm saying? How you throw a guy in a grave that's that where he's already been buried. So Middle Eastern custom, normally it's a tomb. So that means they, oh, gosh, he's dead. We got to get rid of this guy, move the stone, throw him in there. And what happens? He comes to life. What is that? Typology? Yeah. It's showing that resurrection is real. Those who believe in, in, in his association, see, maybe he himself wasn't a believer, but his association with Elisha, more to the point probably was let the people of Israel know that they were not being left without the power of God in their midst. Even though Elisha was dead, God's power was not gone. God's presence was not gone. And so this guy resurrects to say, yeah, look, I'm still here. My presence works through the living or the dead. I'll be like, God is, I can do what I want to. So he's trying to say, I can bring you back to life. Israel, I can bring you back to life. I mean, why didn't Elisha himself resurrect? That just wasn't God's plan. It wasn't a part of the, the type, what he wanted to show them. 
it wasn't about Elijah. It's about God. It's about God saying, I can bring life to you. Israel, you're dead. I can bring you back to life. Trust me. And that's probably some of the imagery there. All right, let's look over to James 5. Misuse of riches. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries, which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by hell or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then you must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? You must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray one for another so that you may be healed. The effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Boy, I love the way that book finishes. That's the end of James, and it's all about the righteous, those who are trusting in Christ, and the miracles that can be worked through us praying and seeking out those that are in sin and leading them back. You know, James, I don't think James ever called on the heavens to stop rain and, and, and produce rain. I don't think he did any of the miracles that Elijah did. We don't have any him recorded as doing any miracles that I can think of, except maybe this last one, that of turning a brother back from his sin. We have to remember that that is the goal. That is the plan. That is what we're here for in one sense, apart from worshiping God, knowing God, following him relationally. It is to turn a brother back, to, to seek people out, share the gospel with them, and show them the way out of the mess that they're in. It's difficult to do that when you're caught up in treasures on this earth. This is what he's saying. 
And you know, he's talking to people, normal people in the church. He was not in a church ministering to a church that was the, like the richest church in, in the whole country where everybody were millionaires. He was talking to people that had good jobs and had enough to pay off everything. And he says, you guys are living luxuriously. I'm thinking in his mind, he's thinking probably like we do. I mean, there's people that have uh, not enough money to, to have a meal today. They don't have any money. They got 20 pesos or whatever here, here up there in U.S., five bucks or something. And um, if we have our bills covered, we can go out and eat in a restaurant. We can buy a new cell phone and we can buy a new TV. We're living luxuriously. We, we like to think we're luxuriously as having yachts and helicopters and that kind of stuff. Certainly that's the extreme, but we in the West, we live pretty luxuriously in our churches. If you stop and think about it, and that can become a stumbling block for us because it causes us to be self-focused, internal, and, and we don't get out and think about others, and we live separate one from another. So it's all about relational Christianity is what we're seeing here and keeping that in the forefront of your mind. And again, faith without works is dead. It's James knew this. He, he was the one lacking faith, but he had a lot of works. If you think about it, he's, if everybody thinks he's pushing works when, in fact, he denied his brother. He did not have faith. But as a Jew, he had a lot of works. So all he's doing is bringing the balance in. Faith without works is dead. Guys, we got we to gotta make sure that we have the faith, then do the works. Then together, there's a harmony, there's unity, and there's purpose. And we can help someone turn back from their, from their sin, and that covers a multitude of our sins. <laughs> it's what God wants us to do, in other words. Charles Spurgeon now. John eleven twenty six, and whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I do. Yes, Lord, we believe it. We shall never die. Our soul may be separated from our body, and this is death of a kind. But our soul shall never be separated from God, which is the true death. The death which was threatened to sin, the death penalty, which is the worst that can happen. We believe this most assuredly. For who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? We are members of the body of Christ. Will Christ lose parts of his body? Are we married to Jesus? Will he be bereaved and widowed? It is not possible. There is a life within us which is not capable of being divided from God. Yea, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And how then can we die? Jesus himself has our life, and therefore there is no dying for us, for he cannot die again. In him we died unto sin once, and the capital sentence cannot a second time be executed. Now, we live, and live forever. The reward of righteousness is life everlasting, and we have nothing less than the righteousness of God, and therefore we can claim the very highest reward. Father, what a joyful devotional reading this morning. And it, we know these things in our hearts, but to hear it put to the, the kind of logic, the simplicity and the beauty of the words of Charles Spurgeon enthralls me. It, it, uh, it brings me into a, a greater height of worship and understanding of your love for us. And we, so we thank you, and, we, and especially those of us who are, are getting older, and we know that uh, we're not going to be around for another 30 years. Some of us, maybe not another 10. But what a glorious thought 
that we're not coming to an end of our existence. We're coming to the new beginning of it. We're, we're coming to the point of completing our gestation as being formed in the image of, of, of God here on this earth, about to be born anew in his kingdom. It's a very comforting thought, God, especially coming back from a memorial service, knowing this to be true, celebrating the life of Andrew, Renee's brother. What a glorious thing that was, that because everyone there that were believers, everyone there knew that. Everyone knew that he was still alive, just not with us. So what a, it's an encouraging thing. God, it's very, very encouraging to know that when we have people that we love that have died in the Lord, we know they are fine. And we know that you can never leave them or forsake them. We know that we're going to see them again. We know that we're going to be united and we are going to be perfected and together as the body of Christ. We're never going to be isolated and we're going to love each other. And all the differences we've ever had on this earth are going to fade away like a memory we can't even remember. It's just going to fade away, and it's going to be glorious. So touch those that need healing, God. Uh, help them, God, in all that they are, are, are doing right now. We want to be witnesses. We want to help people. Thinking of the Castor line specifically, they have some real needs with their daughters that, that um, need the encouragement of the body of Christ, need the help of people to come around them, be praying for them daily and helping the girls. God, just continue to heal their brains, heal their brains their minds and help them to see that what they're doing right now is the best they can do just to eat well, sleep well, and let you do the work of healing their minds. And we pray that all the medicine that they're getting is the right medicine, the treatment is the right treatment. God, help Dean and Kim discern the truth from the doctors that their their course of treatment they're on is the right one. And if it's not God, just reveal it to them supernaturally, make it very clear. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Okay. And, of course, there's other needs. You guys can be sending them on as we pray one for another. And I did not mention the Vacation Bible School, which is coming up on the 28th, I think. Uh, it's and We need your prayer for that because the team has a lot to do. I'm logistics and support. They've got a lot to do to get ready. And we have a team from Albuquerque coming down. We're excited about that. And uh, just a bunch of stuff to get done. So please be praying for kids that would come, that, that the information would get out. We're going to have everything ready, but we need the kids. And, and, and they usually come, but we want the right kids. We want the new kids, people that where God can touch their hearts. So p- appreciate your prayers on that if you would continue to do that. And other than that, we will see you tomorrow at the same time. God bless you all. Thank you for being with us. And uh, Pray for us. We'll pray for you. Send your prayer requests. Happy to do it. See you later. Bye-bye.